0: The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series.
1: Thank you, everyone, for coming out on um, another chilly night. You know, these are supposed to be, it's the second and third week in January that are statistically our coldest weeks of the year. So I always feel like, you know, sort of we get over this hump and then we're, we're in great shape. <laughs> right. Which is actually going to get to one of the things I'm going to talk about tonight is not knowing. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> um, Mark's advice very often, uh, you know, when he asks someone to substitute for him, he says, oh, "Just you know, talk about whatever's going on in your practice." So that's what I'm going to do tonight, and I'm actually going to talk about vulnerability, about living with. A mindful, open heart in some difficult times, and I'm going to begin by reading uh, something to you from uh, Pema Chodron and a great book called *When Things Fall Apart: Heart Advice for Difficult Times*. And it's uh, it's an old book. I can't remember when the first first edition came out. 1997. So it's it's a classic and um, Pema says things falling apart is a kind of testing and also a kind of healing we think that the point is to pass the test or to overcome the problem but the truth is that things don't really get solved they come together and they fall apart then they come together again and they fall apart again. It's just like that. The healing comes from letting there be room for all of this to happen. Room for grief, for relief, for misery, for joy. When we think that something is going to bring us pleasure, we don't know what is really going to happen. When we think something is going to give us misery, we don't know. Letting there be room for not knowing is the most important thing of all. We try to do what we think is going to help, but we don't know. And um, I was reading this early in December and thought that my... um, practice for the next year, I usually try to come up with some sort of practice phrase or aspiration. And so recently it was a practice making the wiser choice was something I worked with for about a year. And I decided this year, I decided in mid early December, I would practice with making room for not knowing. Not just you know, sort of leaving room for not knowing or saying, oh, I'm not knowing, but really, very intentionally making room for not knowing in whatever was was going on. Not to assume that I I knew what was happening, or I knew what the outcome was going to be, or I uh, knew that my uh, opinion was correct but really to very very consciously um, make make space for not knowing very intentionally and um, I have been uh, working with a really difficult family situation and I don't I don't mean to be coy by not sort of being really specific about the details but I really do feel that my family members are entitled to A certain amount of privacy so I'm I'm going to be um, more general uh, about this to respect their privacy but um, it's been uh, there is uh, an acrimonious ongoing dissolution of a marriage there is financial insolvency and debt there is clinical depression and anxiety Um, some self-medicating with alcohol um, precarious employment part of this constellation of family issues Um, there was um, a a very serious uh, car accident in this too and this is happening to the persons who are dearest to me in my life and also none of them are in the continental United States so not persons that I have you know physical access to um, right now and um, the last part of this year the last couple of weeks after I you know sort of this you you get what you ask for make this resolution about not knowing the last two weeks of 2020 were just a time of acute, involuntary, not knowing, um, erratic communication, huge gaps in um, you know time zones, you know, 10, 11 hours in some cases, um, and um, just this this real concern for the safety, the physical <coughs> safety, and the Emotional safety of people that I really, really love. And uh, so I sa- I sat with, I mostly, this, you know, there are just these enormous sleepless hours, you know, where there's sort of, you know, the vice to the, the back of the skull and the chest feels like, you know, it's just wrapped in the tightest, biggest ace bandage ever and uh you know and the rest of the body turns to jelly right like you know there's nothing joints or stuff. and um being mindful of these sensations um these really unpleasant sensations and i was just trying to be mindful of and, I, and the thought came this is the anxiety body this is the anxiety body this is how it feels and I'm not usually, I mean, my life has been pretty tranquil the last <coughs> years, um, and it was just so interesting. I mean, I got really, really interested in what is it to have an anxiety body? How does this feel? And so I got really, really interested in just watching those sensations, and they were, they were just very intense. And sometime later because I'm awake for hours with this I thought and some people feel like this all the time some people feel like this all the time and I just felt such an incredible wave of compassion for everyone everyone on the planet who has this and I know um there are some people who just have this for months and years, who live with this sort of constant anxiety, with a body that just feels so um, under siege. And I just, I just felt so much compassion um, for that. And I thought about you know, the people in Australia right now who are just um, so frightened and, and fleeing the fires um, thought about people in Syria. Um, I thought about, you know, being a person of color or a person, um, you know, doing, um, making a gender-affirming transition in the United States. Persons like that are often experienced the anxiety body because they don't feel safe. So, um, you know, the anxiety body, this um this unsatisfactoriness. Me, it really just seemed to me as I was, you know, lying in bed, um, feeling this anxious. By okay, so this is the human condition. This is the condition. This is our common condition. And um, I was just reflecting on being aware, aware of the um, unpleasantness of the body, and moving naturally. To this place of, of compassion. And I realized uh, that what I'd actually done without intending it was to move through the process that some of you may know of the rain process, which I'm going to explain in a minute. But just have a show of hands how many people know rain is a couple people. Okay. Um, it's something that Tara Brock particularly teaches, but many, many other people in this insight tradition teach. And it's the acronym RAIN that when we have an experience, the first thing we do is R, recognize. Oh, okay, this is anxiety. This is the anxiety body. And the second thing, the A, is to accept it. Okay, this is how things are right now. This is this is what's happening right now. The third one, I, is investigate. So you bring mindfulness. You bring this kind of curiosity to what's ever going on in the moment without an agenda. Just really investigate it. This is how this feels. This is where I feel. And then the last one, N, is non-identify. Or sometime, and some people teach it as nurture, but non-identify was what really worked for me because it wasn't about kind of personalizing this. This terrible thing is happening to me. It was oh, this is what happens. This is what happens. This is the human condition. This is what happens. So it it was not um, you know a lot of a lot of me in this. Um, and interestingly, this is also really in alignment with um, Kristen Neff's self-compassion practice. And I know that, that that's taught um, here that uh, Jean Fagerstrom and Jean Haley and some other people teach that. How many people in here have done self-compassion practice? A couple people? Okay. So in self-compassion, um, what we, what we do is first we acknowledge the difficulty of the situation. We just acknowledge kind of the, how hard it is, how difficult it is. Okay, so again, okay, so all these things are happening, and the body is responding with this kind of um, anxiety. And then, and this is the brilliant move, and it's actually in alignment with some of the Buddha suttas, is that we recognize that other people all over the world have this same experience. And it's, uh, it's not to diminish our own experience, but it's to make us appreciate that what we have would be understood by other people other people who are suffering in just the same way. So it's, um, you know, that, that another person would know exactly, you would know exactly how I'm feeling right now. And we have this, this sense of not being alone, that in some ways, it's you know, there's almost a community of people who suffer in this way, people who would understand. And so you don't feel as, as alone in this kind of, of suffering and then you bring mindfulness and loving kindness to that so these practices and you know what what's interesting to me is you know sort of in, in reflecting it wasn't that I intentionally set out to do the RAIN practice or I intentionally set out to do uh, the self-compassion practice what is most interesting to me is that that's what sort of naturally um, arose. Bringing kindness um, to that. Not feeling so alone. And not not personalizing it. So this is really kind of holding a space for not knowing. Um, and while I was sort of awake these many hours over several nights, you know, when texts were not returned or phones were called off and there was just like no way of knowing what was going on, I, I just, um, and I thought there was a real possibility about some kind of self harm that instead of sort of, a, um, Spinning out in possible scenarios or what was going on, what I just came back to was just this idea of, you know, may wisdom and compassion protect us all. May we all be protected by wisdom and compassion and not falling into the scenario not falling into the uh, scenarios of well what if it's this well what if it's that um, you know just just really being with that not knowing and the body was pretty anxious but the mind was really able to be with the not knowing and uh, for people who knew me in my more useful days, or even in my middle age, um, you know, people used to say I got my exercise jumping to compa- uh, jumping to conclusions, you know, and uh, I would, you know, always sort of spin out the scenario if someone was late. About you know, um, if they were only, you know, half an hour late, uh, I would, you know, be imagining the car crash. If people were, you know, more than an hour late. My my dear ones, you know I'd be planning the memorial service. <laughs> um, you know, I mean this this was this is was not my original temperament at all. My original temperament and my original family of origin training is really to be you know a warrior and just come up with lots and lots of scenarios. And it was just really interesting to me in this. Uh, a series of events that felt very much like a crisis that I just didn't do it and it was like I just I had other I had other um, resources that I've been practicing for a long time because I've been practicing since the mid-90s and so that these resources just kind of naturally fell into place so I could be with the body that was really anxious and, um, you know, really reactive. Um, But the mind was just really able to kind of hold this not knowing and hold this wish for all of us, my family, and then it was larger for all of us to be safe and protected. And I think that that was just, um, you know, it was really a a surprise to me. And um, there's a a story that the Buddha tells, and this is um, a very famous simile. It's the simile of the two arrows. And the Buddha said, you know, that uh, the story is that someone is um, pierced by an arrow and is in pain. And then that person wonders, who shot me? Why was I shot? What's the arrow made out of? Who's going to help me? And that in doing all that, that the person essentially shoots themselves with a second arrow. <laughs> that the first arrow is often the inevitable arrow, right? It's the, um, the arrow of, um, the inevitable pain and suffering that we have in this in this life. And the second arrow is all of the uh, mental proliferation that goes with that. Um, You know, why is this happening to me? I'm a good person, or, you know, am I a bad mother? Was I a bad mother? Should I have been a better parent? Um, now all of those sorts of, of things. That's the second arrow. The second arrow is the, the arrow of our own um, mental suffering. And so, again, as I was sort of reflecting on this, I thought, you know, the first arrow feels like a spear to the heart. But I didn't shoot the second arrow. And that, to me, is kind of an, an amazing thing and it's also not personal it's not personal in that you know i mean i wasn't blaming anyone i didn't didn't go to you know this is this person's fault i just didn't do it and it's not that you know i personally patrice am such a you know i'm just so great at not blaming that's that's not it at all it was again so impersonal It's the practice that sort of takes over and just kind of roots out that habit of blaming, that habit of looking to another person, that that habit of, you know, going after myself, which I think a lot of us do, you know, that that sort of um, self-scouring, self-flagellating when something goes wrong, whether it's with us or our loved ones. That we make that move, that we try to find who's responsible for this. And often, you know, there's a lot of self blame in our, um, in our just struggles to sort of hold, uh, the difficulties that are happening either with ourselves or with people we love. It is, is so common and what again was just so interesting to me in reflecting on this is it just wasn't there like looking for someone to blame and you know these are sort of it's an involved situation with different players and but it was like just everybody's suffering in this that i could just kind of hold that everybody's suffering and i don't know how this is going to turn out and I wish everyone well. I wish for, for our wisdom and compassion to uh, to be there. To be there, no matter what happens, and that you know that to me is just such a remarkable um, fruit of practice. Um, you know, sometimes in this practice we talk about anatta, the um, sometimes it's called the non-self, but I think of it often as the um, uh, sort of impersonal nature of experience. Things happen. There are causes and conditions. Some of the causes are these uh, human players. There are all sorts of other things that kick in. There are global forces. Um, So there are all these sorts of, of causes and conditions. And we realize that, okay, given the causes and conditions, this is what happened. And that's with good things too. I mean sometimes when I've um, you know done something that has been oh that was, that was really helpful. It's kind of like, yeah, well I was I happened to be the person there at the time who had the resources who was able to to offer this. It's not that, you know, me personally. It's it's not about me. It's just like, okay, causes and conditions came together and this is what happened. And so in this instance causes and conditions come together. These things are unfolding, including the car wreck. Um, And there's just no, no impulse to look for someone to blame, but just to really see the suffering and that people are probably trying to do the best they can and often um, we're just not very skillful. And that's that's just how things are. So I, I really just want to offer this because I have had um, just a uh, pretty horrendous couple of weeks, um, just physically mostly, of very little sleep and um, and just, you know, this, this anxious body. But I just had a sense that, you know, basically, we're okay. Um, you know, this is kind of what, this is how, how the practice unfolds. And that I can really be present with the not knowing of how things are going to turn out. And um, things make get worse. You know, I mean, I, it's it's just this this not knowing, but also the not speculating, the not kind of um, you know kind of whipping myself into well, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. This I just I just don't have the tendency to move there anymore. And again, this is such a change from. You know, the times when I, I started practice into the first couple of years of my practice where, you know, I was always had, you know, plan B, plan C, um, and lots of, lots of worrying. And, you know, I just, um, I just don't do that anymore. And I'm always surprised that I don't do it anymore because it was such a, you know, I thought it was all hardwired. I thought it was in my genes, you know, that this is sort of, my mother was a worrier, my sisters are worriers. And so I thought this was just like, okay, this is the hard wiring. And how about that? It's software, you know. It can be changed. <laughs> it can be changed. So, um, you know, that, that our pra- I, what I'd like to, to um, urge you to consider as we start this new year is that your practice really matters. <laughs> you know, like turning the heart and mind again and again Toward this idea of no ill will, of turning the heart and mind toward loving kindness, toward compassion, uh, toward just um, holding the space for things to unfold, of letting go and holding the space—you know—it really um, is so beneficial. It's just amazing it's, it's amazing to me that um, that I've been able to um, sit with this and, and not look for um, not look for people to blame, not look for the villains and not blame myself for anything either. you know that, that just is uh, is astonishing. When that can happen, so um, so I really want to encourage you to uh, practice, and and especially to do a loving kindness practice. You know, for me, that's been kind of a default practice for a long time, and you know, that I, I I say hundreds of times a day. You know, may wisdom and compassion protect me, and I think of that for others, you know, and I see someone on the street. May wisdom and compassion protect you because I do think that the wisdom that we get from our practice, the wisdom that, that naturally arises when we can sit down and we really do our practice, which is the practice of seeing clearly, right? That's what Vipassana practice, mindfulness practice is, seeing things as they really are. When we see things as they really are, these causes and conditions that come together, um, we are, are able to, to be with that in a way. And when we have this deep intention of non-harming, non-harming ourselves, non-harming others, when we have that as our the basic way the heart turns throughout the day, whenever there's that sort of irritation, that we turn the heart toward that intention, No ill will toward myself. No ill will toward others. That that really, really, really is an incredible support um, in times of of difficulty. Um, And it's not personal. That's the other amazing thing. It is not personal. It's just what arises. So you can really... Uh, step out of your own way, which is hard to do, but great when it happens, when you can step out of your own way. So I want to end my comments with uh, a poem by Ellen Bass that I just love. And um, and then I'd like to hear from you. So the poem is called The Thing Is. The thing is to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands. Your throat fills with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, it's tropical heat, thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief weights you down like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief, you think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold your life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes, And you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. I'm going to read that over, because I think any poem worth reading is worth reading twice. The thing is, to love life, to love it even when you have no stomach for it, and everything you've held dear crumbles like burnt paper in your hands. Your throat filled with the silt of it. When grief sits with you, it's tropical heat, thickening the air, heavy as water, more fit for gills than lungs. When grief waits you like your own flesh, only more of it, an obesity of grief, you think, how can a body withstand this? Then you hold life like a face between your palms, a plain face, no charming smile, no violet eyes, and you say, yes, I will take you. I will love you again. So what I would love to hear from you, if anyone... um, has anything to share, is how practice has been helpful to you in, uh, in times of difficulty. If anyone would be willing to um, share that, or I mean, any other comments are welcome. But it's always you know, great when we can share um, stories about how practice has really um, been helpful to us. First
2: off, thanks Patrice for sharing that wisdom. During a troubling time, um, that poem made me think of what Nancy Bowler shared tonight at yoga. Um, we do this practice where we like turn to a leg, and we or we think about our leg. We think about maybe like localized pain or somewhere in our body. We turn to our body, and how we can have that inner dialogue. Like, oh, this knee, it's. You know, always doing this and it shouldn't be doing this and it's hurting, and we have that conversation with ourselves, but like flipping that around and like, oh, this poor knee, you know, it's really suffering right now, and um, like being tender with it. And so um, I try to do that in my own practice, but that the self compassion, the turning towards ourself and like giving ourselves a break like you Mm -hmm. turning to yourself like this is this is anxiety or this is sorrow or this is sadness Mm -hmm. but just like letting letting ourselves accepting that letting ourselves have that Mm -hmm. and then maybe like a little more loving care like Mm -hmm. gentleness
0: I just want to kind of follow up on that. Um, I've been, Hold the mic up a little bit. Thank I've you. I've been just beginning meditation practice for probably a year and a half or so. And um, in the last... I've gone to two kind of week-long retreats. And uh, on the second day of my retreat, this a few months ago, I was in the shower, and I was scrubbing my skin and my hair. And then I thought to myself... Um, I don't wash my daughter like this, you Uh know, Um, especially when she was a newborn, she's seven now, Um, and why, why am I so aggressive, even with a simple thing like this, you know, toward myself, and it opened my eyes actually quite a bit toward how I treat myself on many levels, and um, that image of washing my newborn in the sink and the way I would touch her and the, what I felt toward her is what I try to conjure up when I'm cognizant of uh, not being kind to myself. So it's just one of those That's
1: things. And, and that you had the, the mindfulness on that retreat, though, given those conditions of retreat, to, to, see, to see yourself Scrubbing yourself very aggressively. And that's really, again, mindfulness really uh, brings us these kinds of insights. Thank you so much. And what is your name, please? Sanas. Okay, thank you. Who else? Sure.
0: Very much so. Very much so. I'm I'm both by um, nature and by profession a caretaker of others, and I realize how little care I take of myself, um, unconsciously and consciously both. So it was very um, it was very transformative. That's a good word for it.
1: Thank you. And you know, that that insight about, you know, we, we talk about non harming, and I'm guessing everyone here is pretty committed to non harming, but we often don't think about non harming ourselves, that we kind of ignore ourselves, that in our efforts not to harm others, that we just kind of, our own care for ourselves just drops off the radar sometimes. So, non, so, Loving-kindness practice really begins with ourselves. And when you do loving-kindness practice, um, you know we're often encouraged to begin with ourselves. And it's very interesting. And that's the traditional way of doing it. And that it's sometimes said that for Westerners, this is challenging. And um, it comes actually from... Um, Queen Melinda in the Buddha's time, uh, who was the wife of um, King Pasenity, and the Buddha was talking with them. And um, he uh, asked, um, I'm trying to remember how the, how the story goes in the sutta, but um, the, um, the king asks the queen, um, who, who is dearest to you? You know, sort of like mirror, mirror on the wall. And she says, myself. And he's really shocked. And the Buddha was there. And the Buddha said, that's true. We are all dear to ourselves. Everyone holds themselves dear. And we should remember that, that, that as we hold ourselves dear, so others hold themselves dear. And we should have that sort of in common. We should understand uh, that. And and that was sort of the, the teaching. Um, And often, uh, as teachers talk about now in sort of contemporary Western circles, that there is often a lot of um, self-loathing or not having uh, tender feelings toward oneself, that we often have a really overactive kind of um, critical voice in all this. And it's interesting. This is... If you want to play with that critical voice, a number of teachers, Sharon Salzberg, Dan Harris, um, they give their critical voice a name. Like Sharon Salzberg says, she calls her critical voice Lucy, and she says, "Not now, Lucy." Or you know, in the Buddhist time, they used to say, "Buddha said Mara, I see you." You know, Lucy, I see you. Or Dan Harris of Ten Percent Happier calls his um, critical voice Robert Johnson was his extremely critical grandfather and he says you know Robert Johnson I know you're there and kind of not now um, so you know if you have a critical voice um, you may find instead of taking it very seriously you could give it some sort of, of name and, uh, and just call it that you know this is part of again with rain recognizing so you can play with that and just recognize that critical voice that uh, doesn't care very much um, for you, or is actually probably trying to protect you. It's usually a voice that evolves over time, and it uh, is kind of had a self-protective function at one point, but may not be so so useful anymore. So you can tell your critical self-protective voice to just you know chill out for a bit. Do
3: you have a question? Yeah. Yes, I'm Eric. Um, so much of what you said tonight resonates with the, my current practice. Um, I've been very, very intentionally practicing uh, loving kindness towards myself. Um, I, I do have a very strong tendency to beat myself up about also, very much like Sanus. Um, and also, when you mentioned uh, gender affirming um actions uh the last few weeks so in my household there is one of my children um has recently gone through a very major step towards uh, gender affirmation um my son and it's not i mean the healthcare system is a mess anyway but when you're trying to do things like that it can be very very messy with the referrals and the insurance and the you know all the stuff, and their level of anxiety we've we've had is just an all permeating thing in, in the household. It's over now. Recovery is started, but um, just really trying to radiate compassion, and loving kindness towards them. On a constant basis, like you were saying, you know, may may compassion and wisdom protect you, um, and um, and using that also as a way for me to also not get wound up with them when something wasn't going right. So I appreciate everything you said tonight. Thank you.
4: Thanks for sharing that, Eric. Um, my name is Sam. Um, I'm also newer to practice, and uh, I, I'm really grateful for kind of the initial uh, insights that some of the uh, the language has brought, um, especially in, in recent times where um, I've 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 been a part of reconnecting with family and uh, you know uh, referring back to maybe maybe some of the recent gatherings that have happened over the holidays and you know I had this one instant. Um, that really was brought up tonight when uh, you mentioned or kind of referred to kind of an intention around having a deeper relationship with not knowing and, and maybe some of the, the fruits that that can bear. And um, I I have family that came together in an old home that we all grew up in, um, in, in Milwaukee, and uh, family that came from, you know, California, Boston, me from Minnesota, um, another from Germany, and we we're all we all came together in this kind of small place and I think there was just a lot of expectation and everyone I, I kinda got the sense had played out the scenario of how this coming together was gonna go and had a had a, a, a um, we're trying to build different versions of this experience in their heads or in, in, in their lives before it actually had happened. And there was this one moment where I was very aware, and I was I was complicit in this as much as, as anything. But I was, I was, I was very much explaining what I knew should be the case, as someone else <laughs> explained to me what should be the case, on top of an, and it. And this this occurred over the course of two to three days, where there's this tension simmering in, in interpersonal interactions uh, that didn't make any nothing changed until my little brother, kind of you know, in a, in a very kind of tender moment with me said you know saying i really don't know how to do this i, I you know it's he, he said, i don't know how to do this 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 family thing this this moment right here. and that just collapsed i mean i just i felt this collapsing not even realizing that i i had something to be collapsed or even mm-hmm. that there was anything that could you know but I was, and i i didn't name any of this prior to that one moment it just Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know, you know, um, and I just saw there was like a a power there and power maybe I I had a range of actions I, I could take after not knowing, you know, I had more opportunity after not knowing, you know, and that, you know, that, that cycle through, um, and and that, you know, it it fit with some of the, the themes of my practice in a very juvenile sense. I appreciate that. So I, I that's what resonated with not knowing.
1: The power of not knowing, of someone saying, I don't know. You know, it's sort of like the Emperor's New Clothes when someone says I don't know and you realize that you don't know. So that sounds really, really powerful. Thank you, Sam. Ollie, did you want to say something?
5: My name is Ollie and um uh, some of the tenets of Buddhism that have been always real powerful to me is the importance of no fixed views and the fact that things are always in change. Uh, Within the last year, my son came out and told us he was transgender, which was a real shift for us. And what I was aware of within myself is how quickly I was able to accept that because of the lack of fixed views. It's like I no longer have a son I now have another daughter and I keep they was home for Christmas and I kept being aware of this in in little subtle ways his uh, their girlfriend was with them and uh, she wanted to go to the Mall of America which we did and while we were there they we needed to go to the bathroom and so we're walking and and they walked into the girls bathroom and it was that little thing of oh that's change and I was just able to observe that and flow with it. Um, and then they went shopping with my wife and my other daughter, and they came home, and now, my, now Oliver is talking about skirts and blouses and, and the like, which is another switch, another change. And I'm just finding, not, I'm not finding resistance with it. I'm just flowing with it. And able to affirm uh, affr- affirm them uh, in this change, and uh, so I just find the practice invaluable in this process. So I just wanted to share that.
1: Well, thanks so much, Ollie. Because I mean, I, that really is is a wonderful example of how when we practice with this idea about you know no fixed views that everything is always changing about really being open that it's not an effort to readjust, it's like, oh okay. So now uh, this is how it is right now. And and that, that it was so um effortless on your and and kind of surprising and delightful that it is so effortless. Like, oh, oh yeah, okay. Wow. So and and I think that you know sometimes because we work so hard at our practice um, when things happen and they're effortless, it's really delightful, and you see it. You know, and you know, you're paying attention. If you're mindful. You say, "Oh, oh, this delightful thing is a fruit of practice. I'm not hanging on to this anymore. I'm able to to be fluid. I'm able to let go. I'm able to uh, to change my point of view." Um, you know, and and leave that make that space for not knowing
6: my name is Rachel and um, I just wanted to comment on rain rain I actually just had um, heard um, was new to listening to some podcasts by Tar- Tara Brock mm-hmm. and so was just recently um, introduced to um, rain through that through her podcast and I um, I'm so glad you brought it up tonight um i had just had um, some practice using that i had um gone to a event with my sister and my four-year-old niece and we um it was a uh we went to go see some gingerbread houses and she had had she had a meltdown she was tired and um when i after I left them and went my own way um, went to I was at, actually at the gym and I was really second-guessing How I had helped or not helped <laughs> with the meltdown and I was feeling sad that the the event didn't go as, 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 as um, We had hoped and um, So I found that rain in that small um, instance very helpful and I um, I really um, found the investigation part helpful in that I investigated my need to call somebody. I, I, through that investigation piece, I, I realized I have this need at that time, and in more in general terms, to call up somebody and get reassurance about something instead of just sitting with whatever, whatever um, the feeling was or the, the discomfort that I had. Um, and so I um, really um, appreciate the end part of it, the nourish, what do you mm-hmm. need right now? Um, and in that case, it was to know I did the best I could in that moment and to have self-compassion too and um, and, and compassion for all, the, all those involved, but really that feeling of knowing I did the best I could. Mm-hmm. And um, I really like it that you added this... Um, other part to the—it's um, not just nourish, but it's also the um, not personal. Mm-hmm. That really adds a whole nother dimension to that to the final part of that rain. Thank you.
1: Thank you, thank you, Rachel. So, one more, and then.
7: Oh. Oh, uh, Robert, I. Um was reminded and thank you so much patrice it's it's a great teaching of uh, a few weeks back a friend of mine gave me a call i hadn't heard from for about a few months and um he had just gotten out of jail for having a driving while intoxicated he was pulled over by the police and they took him to jail he spent six days in jail and he he called me after he got out and he said um, he was really in a in a stew. He has he's taking care of his mom and dad. He's out of a job, and um, he didn't know what to do. So I offered for help, and um, the help came, oddly enough, in a way that I could do it really well. He was gonna had an appearance date in court for this driving while intoxicated DWI, and um, he wanted to his mom and dad to show there as well to come to court with him. And um, I, he didn't know how he was going to manage that at all, because he couldn't drive for <laughs> one thing. And um, so I offered to, do, to take him to court with his mom and dad, which I was able to do very easily. The weather was horrible. But um, the problem that arose was that his mom has dementia, and his dad has, when I asked him what was wrong with his father, he said he listed seven things and I thought any one of those would kill me. <laughs> but we were able to get to court and um, we were in the government center downtown and he's running around with his lawyer. He's gotta meet the lawyer for the first time and then go over everything that has to go over. Net end result is that it turned out really, really well. Because his mom and dad and myself, I managed to maneuver with them as best I could through the snow, sometimes outside, sometimes inside. The court was in one building. We were in another building. Um, and it all happened really nice. But the, the part of it for me that was so instrumental was that, um, well, let me say this. He, he was His court case was dismissed. He for time served, the six days that he had, and he was facing a prospect of 90 days. Um, But his lawyer uh, indicated that his mom and dad, who were sitting in the front seat, uh, were being cared for by him. He has another sister and brothers, but they're not uh, able to help him at all. They're in other states and uh, other predicaments of their own. And um, for me, the, the situation was so encompassing, and I, I knew what to do right away. I could take care of mom and dad. That was no problem. That left him time to do all he needed to do with a lawyer, go before the judge, plead the case, and it came out really wonderful. With, by the That was on a Friday. By Monday, he had a license again. It was just incredible. For me, it was that I could get out of my... <laughs> My dilemma, which is sadness during the holidays and all that kind of stuff, it was such a great gift that I was able to help him, and in so doing, help myself to a very, very great extent. It was not difficult at all, and I was quite surprised by that, but I can't run around doing that all the time.
1: Oh, that's beautiful, Robert. Thank you. What a, what a great gift. I want to thank you all for coming tonight, for your kindness in listening. Um, thank you for your practice. Our practice really does make such a such a difference in this world. So thank you all for your your practice and your contribution to making this uh, a safer world, a kinder world, a more compassionate, more mindful world that you know never never underestimate the good good results of your own practice. You know we're all planting seeds all the time, so really, um, really cherish those that practice those good intentions, and uh, and be well.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website